Coming up right now, the newest episode from Carr, Gwyn, and Ode on Three Pagans and a Cat. Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near, between the woods and frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year. He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep, but I have promises to keep, and miles to go before I sleep, and miles to go before I sleep. Welcome to Wheel of the Year Yule, the 26th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of 20th century poet Robert Frost. You may call me Ode. You can call me Carr. I'm Ode's father. Merry meet. My name is Gwyn, Ode's mother, and the designated driver for this episode. In case you missed it because you're not listening live, we were all planning to drink during this episode. <laughs> And Carr and I are drinking during this episode. We will be drinking... He's, he's clinking his cans together. <laughs> he has two cans of beer. Uh, we will be drinking Citra Warrior, which is a beer that is made here in Michigan at Railtown Brewing. We got wine, which uh, I also was going to drink and which Gwen was going to drink, but it turned out to be very, very bad. It was the worst wine Ever, and I should have known. It was on sale for $4.99. That should tell you something. And Gwyn doesn't drink beer. So right. we have no alcohol in the house that she is willing to drink. So she is going to be sober for this podcast. Mary which, Mashup is my beverage of choice tonight. Which is uh, a Mountain, Mountain, Mountain Dew, Dew flavor. <laughs> so she's going to be... By the way, we're not sponsored by Mountain Dew. No. Although we should be. <laughs> uh, nor are we sponsored by Railtown Brewing. Right. No. No. <laughs> and certainly not by the awful wine that we binned. <laughs> It's a nice, it's pretty bottle. It is, well, yeah, so we'll keep the bottle. We'll keep the bottle. All right. It was a, it was a $5, five dollar bottle. bottle. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode, we're going to be discussing Yule. As our Yule gift to all of our listeners, we opened up the Discord channel, so it is busier than usual in here. Yeah, right now we're at 18. Ooh, yeah. that's fun. I know. Hi, this is everybody. exciting. Usually we get three or four of our hunters who are able to show up during the live recording. Yep. But we opened it up to everybody, so we have a much uh, busier Discord this evening while we're recording. So that's going to be really exciting, and we're looking forward to that. Uh, expect there to be more interjections in this episode than there usually are, because we have more people listening and asking questions. That's right. The very first thing, because it's the first recording of the month, is that we need to read our patrons. Yep, and I am going to do that. We have 12 kittens whose name we don't read, but we love you all. We mm -hmm. love you, kittens. Our cats are Emily Hagelin, Aaron Mao, Gary Bearstorm, Marcella M., Michelle Kovic-Burkett, Susan DeHaan, and Tally Kazoyle-Thomason. Our hunters are Eris, Charles Howison, Fen Ashburn, Henry Woodenhouse, Kay Kremer, Carly, Leland, Lorelei, Stefan, Steve Thompson. Yes. <laughs> Suzanne, Is that his whole name? <laughs> the drinking the drinking started. Suzanne Johnson, Vex Arcana, and Wick. We have so many hunters. I we know do. it's awesome. We have two tigers, Akaneko and Crystal Poutine. And then we have two Jaguars. Jaguar. Yes. So Justin Stanage and Leanne Stevis. Very cool. That's yeah. it. We're so grateful to you guys. We really are. 
We have been able to buy business cards because of your guys' support, mm-hmm. which is nice because... <laughs> we haven't had any. We haven't had any. We had stickers for a little bit, and then we ran out of those, and then we were just like, well, we exist. I Try did, to remember the name. I did find some stickers, mm-hmm. so if anybody wants some, they can just email me. Oh, did we have some in a box? Yeah, when we moved? I found like Yay. this many. Oh, okay. Yeah, we've got so, a few. And so if you want a sticker and you have not received one already... Email car at three, the number three, pagansandacat.com, and I, with your address and your name, obviously. Right. your mailing details. Yep, and I will send them out to you. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And then also the Yuling has begun. Yes. yes. It was so cool. I can't believe how many people responded to that. God, yeah. <laughs> so, so many people signed up for the Yuling, and we got everybody paired up. Yep. Mm-hmm. And... And hey, for those of you all who got like crazy messages from me, it was just a really like yeah, weird he, day of connecting everybody. And so. we uh, we've never done something like this before, so we didn't have like a super sophisticated system in place for organizing it. Next year, <laughs> it all it all just set in my email. Yeah, where it sat. Next year, I'm going to like make spreadsheets about this. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it will be much more organized. Yep. Yeah. But hey, it was a kind of a spur of the moment thing, mm-hmm. and I think it came off all, all right. It yeah, like we've uh, we've happy. had some people on the Facebook talking about you know their plans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's so. very exciting. So we'll want to hear how that all turns out for everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can report back to us uh, this upcoming weekend. We're going to be in Flint, Michigan, for the Spirits yeah, of Yule. Yeah, Spirits of Yule, which is tea thing. extravaganza. Right. There's a yeah, they've got a there's whole a bazaar. There's a craft bazaar. There's a drum circle. There's the the tea that has us. We're going, to be, we're going there, to be reading along with a bunch of other really talented readers, mm-hmm. including Jack Mercer. Yeah, Jack Mercer is going to be there the reading the bones. Thrower of the bones. I love Jack Mercer. Mm-hmm, me yep. too. Cool dude. And then I'll be broadcasting live from there, probably on Facebook. Okay, June. <laughs> June. Yeah, because we're going to be. We are the official media outlet of Michigan Pagan Fest for yeah. 2019. So, so we're going to be recording there live. A lot. Extensively. And we can yeah. say that because it's on the website. Right. Yeah, exactly. yeah. You put that up on the website now. Not that we haven't been saying it before. Well, that's true. Yeah. So Yule. Yeah. Yule. Yeah. One of my favorite holidays. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's everybody's favorite holiday. It's, it's usually a toss-up between this and Samhain yeah, for people. Yeah, they're right up there together. Mm-hmm. Carr is actually not a fan, but Carr's not a fan of any holidays. No, really. no. Carr is a complete Scrooge. <laughs> <laughs> I have to drag him into the holidays kicking and screaming pretty much. She really does. <laughs> uh, he's never, he was never a fan of Christmas. He's not really a fan of Yule, although we do some stuff. We have we some, some observances. That we and and I, honestly, I think our Yule celebrations are more meaningful than, even than what we ever did yeah, for Christmas. Yeah, I agree. Even when I was a kid, like when I was a kid, we had like a book that we would read. Yeah. That about, was a, the, about the birth, the birth of, of Jesus, Jesus and mm-hmm. how that was what Christmas was really about. And which, to me, was basically just a process I had to get through in order to get to the present stage <laughs> of, the, of the day. Yeah, because let's face <sighs> it, the majority of, of Christmas is pagan ritual. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> just dressed up with a Christian name. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're going to get into some... So a lot of people, uh, especially around this time of year, like to start talking about the pagan roots of Christmas. And there are Mm -hmm. some pagan roots of Christmas, but not everybody correctly identifies what roots they are exactly, where they come Mm -hmm. from. Mm -hmm. Some things have been transposed where they don't belong. So we're going to do some debunking in this episode, as usual for the holidays. (laughs) As usual for O's. As is traditional, we will debunk some holiday myths. We'll spoil your fun there, but then add some more And then we will, yes, and then we will add more fun about, you know, the things you can do on this holiday and, yeah. 
stuff like that. You know, the usual. <laughs> the stuff we do every holiday episode, starting with the boring shit first. <laughs> <laughs> so get the hints. Get the hints. All the right. boring shit. So. <laughs> okay. There are several proposed routes for Christmas. The one that I think a lot of people know about as the root of Christmas, as distinct from the, the root of Yule, is Saturnalia. Saturnalia was a Roman festival that started dis- between December 15th and December 17th, uh, depending on which calendar they were using at that time in Rome, and which eventually was extended to December 23rd and then again to December 25th. It was a sacrifice to Saturn, who was a really complicated Roman god about whom, like, we have information about Saturn, but ethnologists and religious anthropologists aren't sure of his exact position or how he came about. He was a very dichotomous god. So he had um, a lot of aspects that seemed internally contradictory, but which were united in this one god. So during the Feast of Saturnalia, there would be a big banquet, a big public banquet in Rome, And there would be gifts given, but they were usually, like, gag gifts. Because the spirit of Saturnalia was that, like, if you really, really valued your friendship, you should give someone a gift that cost basically nothing. Because basically all social rules were inverted during Saturnalia. So they basically created the white elephant gift? Basically. Saturnalia, the main sort of rule of Saturnalia, aside from everybody can't do any work and must party raucously as much as possible. Like you do. Right. (laughs) Was that social rules were turned on their heads. So masters served slaves at table and priests performed sacrifices with their heads uncovered instead of covered, which was the usual tradition. And so everything that you did normally, you did in the inverted fashion. Togas, you stopped wearing togas and instead you wore the really bright like dinner clothes that were considered sort of gauche and gaudy for usual public wear. You you wore those out in public. Mm -hmm. So everything you would normally do in terms of of social conventions, you reversed as much as possible, Mm -hmm. which was why, you know, gifts were deliberately these sort of like cheap or silly things instead of thing because the idea was the cheaper and sillier it was the deeper your esteem for this person actually was okay gotcha and saturnalia extended for like a long time and uh eventually it was extended to december 25th because that was the date that augustine one of the roman emperors declared as the birth date of sol invictus who was either a revival of the ancient Roman cult of Sol, or a revival of an ancient Syrian sun god cult, which had been brought to Rome and then rapidly lost favor. Mm -hmm. Sol Invictus, which means the sun unconquered, was a solar deity who was made one of the primary gods by Augustine, and he declared December 25th the birth date of Sol Invictus, and extended the Saturnalia ritual to December 25th, so that The Saturnalia ritual, which involved lighting candles and things as, like, offerings to Saturn, eventually would end on December 25th, which was the the rise of of Sol Invictus. So it was, like, a symbolic thing Mm -hmm. for Augustine to sort of end this holiday, which celebrated the most ancient Roman god with his newest and most favorite prime Roman god, right? Mm -hmm. So in the 4th century CE, Pope Julius formalized the date of Jesus Christ's birth as December 25th. Right, because up until then they didn't celebrate. They his didn't birthday. celebrate they didn't celebrate the birth of Jesus specifically because the date was unknown. So Pope Julius formalized that date as December 25th probably to correspond to the established birth date of Sol Invictus the sun god. 
Gotcha. Makes which sense. Which makes sense. Right. We can't prove that that's why he did it, but there's no other logical reason for it, him to right. have done it. It seems to fit all of the, the pieces that, right. that are available. Right. So that's the theory, is that the Christmas celebration that we have now, which centers around the birth of Christ is an extrapolation from Saturnalia celebrations, which ended with the rise of the sun god. Gotcha. Okay, so that's sort of where modern Christmas is thought to have derived from. Modern Yule, which is a slightly different thing, is thought to have derived from Old Norse traditions. Mm -hmm. Because Yule, the word, we think comes from an Old Norse word, hjol, which means wheel. The etymology of Yule is slightly contested, but that's sort of the closest we've gotten to it, mm-hmm. is that it comes from one of the Proto-Indo-European words that in Old Norse was hjol. J-U-L, correct? Right. H-J-O-L. Gotcha. Is, is hjol. And that means wheel, and is thought to represent sort of the, the turning point of the year, yep. right? Because it's the solstice. It and takes place on the solstice. The, the J-U-L that you're... That Carr was saying, right. that would be the anglicized version of it. Exactly, yes. yeah. yeah. Uh, and then Yule, Y-U-L-E, is the extended anglicized extended. version right. of that. Okay. Yule traditions in Old Norse times, we don't have a whole lot of historical record of them because the ancient Norse didn't write anything down. Right, like the ancient Celts. Like, right. Yeah. Like the- so many of them did. They wrote. They were oral traditions. They were oral so, traditions, yeah. and they wrote very little down. Yeah. We do have a few references that we've used to extrapolate traditions in like mm-hmm. modern heathenry, but we don't know a tremendous amount about those traditions. Mm-hmm. The other thing that people like to talk about during this time of year as having had pagan roots is Santa Claus. I have so much to tell you guys about <laughs> Santa Claus. <laughs> Okay. Are you going to ruin Santa Claus? I might slightly ruin Santa Claus, but I personally think some of this information is hysterical, and I love having it, (laughs) and I think it adds more layers to Santa Claus. So hopefully, yes. Whoa, just wait till we get to Father Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) So I think you guys will enjoy this, or at least I enjoy it. I just got to, yes, please ruin Santa for all of us. (laughs) Yeah. So, So, okay. Santa Claus. The oldest incarnation of Santa Claus as Santa Claus, right, is St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas is a 4th century saint from Greece. He was venerated for his generosity, and he was the patron of a lot of different groups, Mm -hmm. a lot of different categories of people. He was patron of navigators, of sailors, of beggars, of wanderers. Of children. And specifically, he was a patron saint of children. He was just, in general, a very popular saint. Mm -hmm. People liked him a lot because he was very generous. He was known for his generosity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So his name day is December 6th. On December 6th, for a long time, there was a tradition of giving gifts to children in the name of St. Nicholas. Which makes sense. As an acknowledgement of his generosity and mm-hmm. because he was a patron of children. Right. Martin Luther, who you may be familiar with from the Reformation. Mm-hmm. That Martin Luther. The original that Martin, Martin Luther. Luther. <laughs> Not Martin Luther King. No. No. Martin Luther, the Reformationist. Yep. He suggested moving the tradition of gift giving to children from December 6th to December 25th in order to deprioritize the veneration of saints so that children would associate getting gifts with Christ Mm -hmm. instead of with St. Nicholas. That makes sense. From didn't work. No, it didn't didn't work work at all. (laughs) But in the European world, that's why gift-giving traditions moved from December 6th 
to December 25th. Gotcha. And that happened to correspond to the Saturnalia tradition that already existed of giving gifts to everybody. Right. Right? But of giving very, like, frivolous gifts. Right. That sort of was all there was until the 1600s. In the 1600s, right after the English Civil War, there was an effort made by royalist propagandists to get the people of England back on their side during the holiday season because Puritans outlawed a lot of Christmas traditions Hmm. because they were frivolous. So, Father Christmas, as a personification of the holiday, was created as a propaganda character a la Rosie the Riveter. Okay. To inspire people in these pamphlets that the royalists were handing out in London to remind people of like, oh, don't you remember the good old days when the king was in charge and we had good Christmas that like meant something instead of now where the Puritans are in charge and nobody gets to have any fun. (laughs) Okay. So that's the origin of Father Christmas. The origin of Father Christmas is like a Rosie the Riveter style propaganda character whose whole purpose, his whole entire role was to remind people of the good old days when they got to have like really raucous parties cuz like in the in the middle ages in the medieval period Christmas in mm-hmm. particular as a holiday was crazy it was a lot more like Saturnalia which was a time of like extreme holiday drunkenness yeah ec- ec- excess those people knew how to party it, yeah it was it was very rowdy and because there were all these inversions of social norms you know a lot of behavior that yeah. wouldn't normally be acceptable was acceptable And that sort of behavior had sort of extended into England's medieval traditions for Christmas. Don't understand how this ruins Santa. Some people don't like the idea that Father Christmas was not like a mythological character, but was literally created by a cartoonist somewhere. Oh, well, you know. I I love this as the origin of Father Christmas. When I think of it, you know, Santa Claus that we know of in the United States was was basically created by the Saturday Evening Post. Well, (laughs) yep. We're getting getting there. We're getting there. So, in certain parts of Europe, there was a character known as Sinterklaas. Sinterklaas is the Dutch derivation of St. Nicholas, right? That's the the way he's named. Mm -hmm. Uh, or the way the character that evolved from St. Nicholas is named in Dutch languages is Sinterklaas. Right. And that's where modern Santa Claus gets his name, right. is, a, is a deconstruction of Sinterklaas. Do you think that's why we now think he comes down a chimney? Because of Sinter? Yes, Sinter, there are yeah. some reasons. Yeah. yeah. So Sinterklaas had a couple of, of distinctive characteristics that we now associate with Santa Claus. Some of which come from another source that I'm about to mention. Okay. So. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so, Sinterklaas has a few very distinctive characteristics that are unique from what we think of today as Santa Claus. Sinterklaas rides a gray horse across the sky. Sinterklaas hmm. is depicted carrying a staff, which is sometimes represented as a chimney sweeping Sweep. pole, okay. right? Mm-hmm. And he is accompanied by several black helpers who tell him secrets about the world. And... In Sinterklaas myth, these are usually presented as Moors, and today there is a lot of drama about the racism implied in that. Yes. Okay. Now, there's no proof about the thing I'm about to tell you, but here are some theories. Tell us. Tell us, Ode. So. (laughs) What are the theories? (laughs) So. Oh, my gosh. 
There's a god you may be passingly familiar with. His name is Odin, or Wotan, or Woden, and he has many other names, including Jolnir, which means Yule One. He has a gray, eight-legged horse who can ride across the sky. Hmm. He carries a spear named Gungnir, and he is accompanied by two ravens who whisper to him all the secrets of the world. Hmm. Yeah. Do you think Santa Claus, Santa Claus, could possibly be Odin? Uh, <laughs> uh, an extrapolation from Odin? That, I can't prove this. None of, there's no proof for any of this. This is all speculative, right? Yeah. It actually kind of makes sense. But though. there are a lot of, there are some superficial similarities between Sinterklaas and Odin as he is presented in the myths. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah, so there are some superficial similarities be- between specifically Sinterklaas, who comes from Dutch-speaking areas, right. and mm-hmm. Odin, who is a Germanic god. Right. Right. And I have seen other people make further extrapolations for modern Santa Claus, like the fact that Santa Claus has eight reindeer, and Sleipnir, the horse that Odin rides, has eight legs. Mm -hmm. There are a significant number of correlations between these figures. Not to mention Santa has elves. Santa does have have elves, which are a a derivation of Black Peter, Mm -hmm. which is the the character that Sinterklaas is supposed to have accompanying. Or the ravens. Yeah, or or the the ravens, ravens, Hugin and Moon. There's no proof that any of this is definitively correlated, but there are statistically significant relationships between them, is is what we'll say. I think it's kind of cool, actually. (laughs) Yeah. So what a lot of people will say at this time is like, oh, Santa Claus is Odin. That's not strictly speaking true. But there are definitely indications that our modern concept of Santa Claus borrows borrows some of the elements of Odin's presentation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's safe to say about a lot of things Mm -hmm. within the Christmas and Yule traditions is that they were inspired by things that came yeah. before. Christmas, as it is today, is a very syncretic holiday. It is. Yeah. It's so syncretic. <laughs> it puts together and, like, very deftly combines elements mm-hmm. from a lot of different traditions. Mm-hmm. So the other thing I wanted to talk about is that I've seen some people saying that Santa Claus is a representative of the Holly King. That Santa Claus... I've also seen that, yes. That Santa Claus mm-hmm. was originally the ancient Holly King. Mm-hmm. There's a slight problem with this, which is that there was not an ancient Holly King. So I'm going to get into where the Holly King and the Oak King come from. And I want to be clear that I'm not saying the Holly King and the Oak King shouldn't be worshipped now. I just want to get the data on the table, okay? So the Holly King and the Oak King were first identified as archetypes of a sacrificial king, which were identified by James Fraser in The Golden Bough, A Study in Comparative Religion, which is a book that was written in 1890. In The Golden Bough, James Fraser compares a whole bunch of religions, including Christianity, and he comes up with some themes and he creates uh, a system of archetypes that he believes essentially all religions follow, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And in that system, he includes the Holly King and the Oak King as two sacrificial kings who are constantly warring with each other. Right. And he's found... One takes the place of right. the other, and that is the year. That's the year. And he's found examples in various religions of deities or characters who follow this trope, who mm-hmm. fit these archetypes, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The characters of the Holly King and the Oak King were adopted by Robert Graves 
in his Mythopoeia of the White Goddess, which is not a historical text. The White Goddess is a work of mythic poetry that Robert Graves created, which I believe could have been divinely inspired, but which was not based on any ancient sources. And he includes the Holly King and the Oak King in the White right. Goddess. And I do, it, as part it of does seem that there have been, at least in the past, you know, sp- some traditions within Wicca and paganism mm-hmm. that have really kind of embraced mm-hmm. that as history right. rather than as poetry. Ro- Robert, the, the White Goddess is Robert Graves' attempt to extrapolate a sort of dreamlike history mm-hmm. of a mythical reality, right? Mm-hmm. And it's very, in some cases, it's very beautiful. It has definitely some of his human fingerprints on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to argue that it couldn't have been divinely inspired because certainly I think Robert Graves believed it was divinely inspired. Mm-hmm. And certainly it has found new life in modern religion. But it was not based on ancient textual sources. So the Holly King and the Oak King were not extant deities in the Celtic tradition, which is what I have seen some people claiming. Like all archetypes, they could probably be mapped to extant deities in the Celtic tradition, but they, as discrete individuals, and I have never had an interaction with the the Holly King or the Oak King, but uh, if you have, it's entirely possible that that was, like, accurate and that they are now discrete entities. Mm-hmm. Or, Not unlike Estra. Right. Exactly. Exactly like Estra. Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. if Estra existed in the ancient past, we can't know that. Mm-hmm. But we can know that she does exist now because people have interactions with her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Could very well be the same thing. Exactly. The we we don't the have King. any evidence that the Holly King and the Oak King existed in the ancient past as the Holly King and the Oak King. But we do know that they exist as the Holly King and the Oak King now. And... There are certainly gods who did exist in the ancient past, who we know existed in the ancient past, who have aspects of and the Holly King and the Oak King and fit those archetypes. So that's all I want to say about that. <laughs> I heard that they're like aspects of Hearn. I've heard that too, or right. that they're aspects of Kernonos. Right. But again, we don't know anything about Hearn right. and Kernonos' mythology. We have no extant surviving myth about them, same as Estra. Right. Where we have, like, the name, we know that that someone worshipped them at some point, and that's all the information we have. So So, everything else about them is really UPG. Yeah, it's UPG or or it's modern Gnosis, yeah. Yeah. All right, so before we get started in anything else... Right. It's time for reviews! (laughs) (laughs) You just have been waiting to do that. Oh my god! You've been holding on to that beer specifically for that! Uh (laughs) That was hilarious. Oh my god. That was great. Now that I've done my, like, really dry bit, too, I can start actually drinking my alcohol. I didn't want to start until I had gotten through all of my... So, yes, we are reviewing things. Yeah. We are reviewing four children's books written by Rowan Moss and illustrated by T.S. Lamb. They are Who is a Witch? Mm -hmm. What are the Elements? What is Magic? And What is an Altar? And I love this series of books. Yeah. We... It there are not beautiful. that many books out there for children. For children. Yeah, to and, explain. And this is listed as the Pagan Children Learning Series. Yeah. It's an introduction to paganism for young readers. 
the illustrations are beautiful. Yeah, they have some beautiful, they're um, watercolor illustrations. Mm -hmm. And they're and really, really, they're very pretty. The, the writing is exactly what you would want for children in uh, like a kindergarten through fourth grade okay. type of, of reading, you know, Gwen used age. to teach children, so and I so rely on her to know what the benchmarks are for reading ages because I was never at them. No. Yeah, so these would be great for parents or, you know, or pagan teachers if they're teaching mm -hmm. a, a class about paganism. To, to read out loud to children, allow children who are readers mm -hmm. to read themselves. Now, there are pagan terms, there are pagan terms in here, which could be confusing to children, but hey, there's a yeah. glossary and in the, the back. And the thing is, every word that hasn't been explained yet, mm -hmm. every, like, pagan-specific word, like incantation, right? Or cauldron. Is, yeah. is written in green. Mm -hmm. And that's how you know that there's an entry in the back that will explain what that word means. Yep. Yep. And let me just read a couple of pages from what is an altar? It's what is an altar? An altar is your very own sacred space. An altar is a place where you can focus and meditate. That's a green word. Mm -hmm. It is also a place where you can practice rituals, green word, and spells, green word. I mean, it's beautiful. So you It's can, a really great like teaching. I believe teaching what aid. is an altar is either this not is, out yet or, or it's brand just new. I think it's brand out. new. Yeah. It, this is the fourth book in the series. Right. Yeah. And we were able to We actually caught them. We were yeah, at we, the bazaar at yeah. the witch's ball. We saw and they were just introducing book 4. Yep. And I saw these in just about fell over with yeah. happiness and joy because these are a it's a beautiful yeah. series of books for children wonderful resource for pagan parents to explain some very basic things about paganism to their children and introduce it to them in a way they can understand and a way they can enjoy and children who are readers can read these over mm -hmm. and over and over again learn what the terminology means it's wonderful they're a wonderful book series and one of the other things i really appreciate them is that the illustrations are very colorful mm -hmm. and they're but they're very soft looking they're not like aggressive but i, I appreciate that the children are um multiple ethnicities yes. Mm -hmm. So it's a very diverse book. It is. They're multiple ethnicities. They're multiple genders. They interact with the tools and the the ritual spaces, and, and there's shows like, the children in interacting, interacting with these concepts. With these concepts. So, yeah, it's a really really beautiful book. I think it's really think, useful. If I remember correctly, there's an activity at the end of each of each book, possibly like you. It shows yeah, you how to create an altar. Yeah. So like at right. the end of what is an altar, there's a craft for creating an altar. And it shows you the different steps you can do and, you know, how you can put it together. And then there's the glossary in the back. And mm -hmm. these are available on Amazon mm -hmm. for $10.99 each. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Except for the first book, Who, Who is, is a Witch? Witch, which is currently out of print. Mm. And uh, you can only buy it right now for about $75. Well, <laughs> well hopefully so. it'll get into print again. We are very excited to share them with you today, and one lucky listener. Yeah, yeah, we have all, a copy of a all set. four of these. We have the full books. We have the full um, set. They are signed by the author and the illustrator, and except for uh, what yeah. is an altar, which is only signed by the author because mm -hmm. the illustrator wasn't. Around. Yeah, the illustrator was was <laughs> not there. Yeah, because it was brand new. Right. Yep. But we are giving these away to one of our listeners who is live in the chat right now. Yep. So, so there are 26 people in the chat, so randomly pick a okay. number between 1 and 26, because um, you have no clue who they are. I'm going to go with 13. 
Of course, right in the middle. La Raz. So congratulations. Congratulations. I'm not even the one who's drinking. You're not even drinking. That was actually a comment earlier. (laughs) Quinn's the sober one? Yeah, right? (laughs) Yep, no, but congratulations to La Raz, who has won this wonderful set of books. La Raz actually said, yeah, I'm so excited. Yay. Thank you. (laughs) So we're going to try to do more of this kind of stuff. Yeah. It probably won't always be in the channel because... That's too hard to do because not all of you all are hunters, and I don't right. want to limit it. Exactly, to we don't want to limit right. it to hunters. We'll we'll come up with some other system for for doing drawings when we have random stuff that yep. we can give away to you guys. Mm-hmm. So, um, and we'll uh, talk who about is the stuff author like that. again. Somebody's asking who the author is. Rowan Moss. Rowan R O W A N Moss M O S mm-hmm. S. There you go, Rowan Moss. That's it for the reviews. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Okay, now that we've gotten the dry. <laughs> historical stuff where I ruined people's fun. The Puritans ruined everybody's fun. Right, they did. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? The Puritans were a no-fun territory. They were no-fun peoples. I didn't want anybody to enjoy anything. Yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> that is, seriously. That now I can start drinking, pages. so... Yeah, now you can start <laughs> drinking. <laughs> now I can start drinking. Nice. Now I can start drinking, because I've done, I've done my due diligence. <laughs> it didn't take long. <laughs> Okay. Oh, one sip already slurring. So, no, it's just that I can't speak. I'm on my second beer. Yeah, I know. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. So which one of you has uh, the list of uh, correspondences for Yule? I have some correspondences. Continue. You have correspondences. Okay. Correspondences. I have some correspondences. correspondences. So what are correspondences so, for Yule? Okay. A bunch of animals that are correspondent for Yule for various reasons. So goats are correspondents for Yule, especially if you're in a Norse tradition. Because, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Goats and boars actually are correspondents for Yule because boars are associated with Freyr, because mm-hmm. he has the, the golden boar that he rides around. And so it's traditional to roast and eat a boar. And I think there are some stories about goats. Uh... Yeah, there are stories about goats because Thor has two goats who pull his chariot. And uh, on various occasions, he has killed and resurrected them, because that's one of the things he can do with his hammer, mm. among all the other things he among can do. the other things, yeah. <laughs> so goats are associated with Thor, and Thor is just a very popular god who people like to celebrate, especially at times like Yule, when it feels dangerous, because, like, the wild hunt is riding, mm-hmm. and spirits are about, and your dead are closer than usual, mm-hmm. and, you know, Ettens might come eat your family, so you want to get Thor's attention and be like, hey, please protect me! Mm-hmm. So people would make uh, little Thor goat figurines mm-hmm. and put them around their house to be like, Thor, your goats are here! Come protect your goats! <laughs> do they still do that, like, with decorations, like, with with uh, maybe ornaments Yeah, in, like in, in parts of Scandinavia and Germany, yeah, mm-hmm. they, they still decorate with uh, the goat. goat ornaments. Yeah. Oh, that's very cute. Um, reindeer are an association because, first of all, they're very common in Nordic territories, but also they've become associated with Santa mm-hmm. Claus, mm-hmm. so reindeer. Owls, as nocturnal hunters, are associated with Yule squirrels uh because uh, around this time they are the most prepared animals mm-hmm. is is the you know squirrels and bears I because think we they... should tell them the story about, <laughs> about the squirrel, squirrel and car yeah so <laughs> so bears and squirrels are seen as correspondences for this time because they sort of prep for deep winter right mm-hmm. bears by bulking up and then hibernating and squirrels by creating these big caches of food car had an encounter with a squirrel which he will now a relate few, to a you a few weeks ago wasn't it <laughs> Yeah, I guess I'm relating my squirrel story. Your, your story, yes. I you think it's adorable. It's time. So I was outside of my office indulging my bad habit of blackening my lungs. 
and a black squirrel. Because we have a lot of black squirrels around here. A lot of black squirrels. This black squirrel had a huge walnut in its mouth, and it ran right up to me, like literally, like at my feet. Dropped the nut and ran away. (laughs) So we think, because the squirrel realized that the park was under new management, (laughs) that it was paying rent. That's right. Either that or he was like, boy, you look skinny. Uh-huh, or he was like, car, I don't think, I haven't seen you collecting any nuts. You need to get And going, it's getting man. cold. It snowed recently. I really think you should start. Yeah, so. So that's Car's squirrel story. Uh, sometimes nature lets you know that it's time to get ready for winter. Right. Which I think is appropriate for a druid. Uh-huh. Right, I'm just yeah. saying. <laughs> there are a few other correspondences for animals for this time of year are stags, which is another animal that's associated with free for completely different reasons. And then ravens, which are because they're associated with Odin, who's mm-hmm. supposed to be A, leading the wild hunt right now, and B, maybe a little bit maybe. Santa Claus. Maybe Santa Claus. <laughs> Sinterklaas? Uh-huh. And uh, Robins and Cardinals, because they're very oh, commonly seen around this time, yep. Yep. are, are also sense. correspondences for this time of year. That's yep. pretty cool. you have anything else other than animals? Yep. Um, so the colors for this time of year are gold, green, red, and white. Huh. Imagine that. I know. Shocking. Absolutely yeah. nobody. Yeah. And next? We have some stones. So we have bloodstone, diamond, garnet, ruby, and emerald. And oats! Stone! Corner! Oh my god, you should have seen his eyes. He was just waiting. He was looking at me like, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it now. As soon as she takes a breath, I'm doing it. And he did do it as soon as I took a breath. Because I hadn't even finished my thought. Uh, I had read all of the stones, but I was going to say that I think people just put those on their list because they're all green and red or white. (laughs) I don't think people put that much thought into it. But what stone are you doing? I'm doing emerald. Which is what color? color? Which is green. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, no. I deliberately chose emerald um, because it was on the list of correspondences. But it does have a few qualities which I think are useful around Mm -hmm. this time of year. Mm -hmm. So, emerald is a variety of barrel. Barrel is actually colorless. So, natural barrel without any impurities is a completely colorless stone. The variety that we call emerald is colored green by chromium. And sometimes vanadium, which are two minerals. Traditionally, only emeralds that are colored by chromium are considered true emeralds. But recently, vanadium emeralds have started to enter the market. Oh. I actually want to talk a little bit about chromium and vanadium because it's it's interesting to me. Chromium is also the mineral which gives rubies their red color. Interesting. Uh-huh. And... A 10-micrometer layer of chromium oxide molecules was found coating the bronze weapons of the terracotta army. And the chromium oxide layer, this very, very extremely thin layer of chromium oxide, which coats the weapons, is what prevented them from oxidizing. Oh, Interesting. wow. Yeah. So we Which don't... Is, I mean, when you see photos of Yeah, it dramatically, of it dramatically slowed the corrosion of the bronze weapons the terracotta army was holding. amazing. Which is why the weapons are still in as good a condition as yeah. they are. So we don't know if that was a deliberate process or not. Right. Or if they just guessed really right. Exactly. That's just... Because, I mean, I'm, you know, when you see pictures of the terracotta army, you're just like... Mm-hmm. 
oh, what, the, what the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> it's just amazing. It's astounding. And yeah. to think that is... That's the, this, it, this, this mineral, could, chromium, could which is reason. found in emeralds, is why the bronze weapons are still in good condition and were not wow. completely corroded when they were discovered. That's amazing. So the other mineral that sometimes colors emeralds now is um, vanadium. And it's actually named after Freya because one of her Haiti, one of her names, is Vanadis, which is Vanir goddess. Okay. And it was named because vanadium, like chromium, can create a wide array of colors. So depending on what depending on its yeah on what it's um, combined with. Gotcha. So Freya is considered a goddess of beauty in Nordic cultures. It was a Nordic scientist who discovered vanadium, so he named it after Freya, saying basically like this is a beautiful metal. I will name it after the beautiful goddess. Gotcha. <laughs> cool. So I thought that was fun. To the surprise of no one. (laughs) (laughs) Emerald contains an extremely high percentage of inclusions in most specimens, which means it has a lot of, it has a lot of other minerals inside of it, or it has a lot of breaks or, so it's an extremely brittle, um, highly fracturable stone. Even though it has a Mohs scale rating of 7.5 to 8, which is about as hard as hardened steel. Because it's so brittle, it's extremely delicate. Interesting. Yeah, so it breaks with just appalling frequency when it's being cut, mm. which is why it's hard to find really high-quality large emeralds. Gotcha. Because they have a lot of fractures naturally, and every time it's cut, you increase the chances that it's going to fracture more. Hmm. And because emeralds are so fracture-prone and yet are a precious stone, unlike other gems where you have to be able to examine it with a loop and not see any inclusions for it to be considered an A-grade stone. Emeralds, you only have to examine it by eye for inclusions, and even if there are low-grade inclusions, it is considered an A-grade stone, as long as they are not like detrimental to the overall appearance of the stone. Hmm. So because it's so, so delicate and because mm-hmm. it has so many natural flaws it is given like a lot more leeway than other precious stones are in terms of quality ratings. Squeaky is a goldsmith's apprentice mm-hmm. and says that working with emeralds in fine jewelry is kind of a beast. Yeah, uh-huh. I would so, imagine yeah, so. Yeah. yeah, There's some folklore about emeralds. So the Tabula Sparadina, or the Emerald Tablet, is a hermetic text which is attributed to Hermes Trismegistus. It was supposedly discovered being held in the hands of a corpse which was enthroned in a secret vault beneath a statue of Hermes carved onto an actual slab of emerald. If that happened, it would have been a like literal miracle because of how difficult it is right. to make any alterations to an emerald without ruining it Hmm. and to find large pieces of emerald like that that are not like fragmented folklore also claims that if you hold an emerald under your tongue you can speak prophecies and summon spirits interesting I have an emerald ring. <laughs> thinking, thinking thoughts. So emeralds are thought to bring luck and protection, and they have an emphasis on loyalty. I think they're the twenty-year anniversary stone. Yes, they are. That's why I have an emerald ring. Yeah, um, I bought it. <laughs> so twenty the- years. <laughs> 10 years ago. I was going to say, we're, <laughs> we're actually coming up on 30 there, buddy. So so emeralds have a strong association with um, maintaining relationships in general and with providing <laughs> sort of general protection over a person. 
Uh, emeralds also have utility in psychic areas, but they're not a journeyer's stone. Okay. They're a speaker's stone. Oh, that makes sense. So emeralds are not going to like deepen your psychic travels necessarily, or mm-hmm. like deepen your psychic connection, mm-hmm. but they will make it easier to translate psychic thought into physical, like, manifested speech. Okay, cool. Because sometimes it's difficult to translate yes, it information is. you receive from uh, an outside source, like from a divine or a psychic mm-hmm. source. Uh, emeralds help with that translation process. Mm-hmm. I also consider emerald a stabilizer. So some stones are really transformers that will move you through the stages of your life. Emerald isn't that. It wants you to already know who you are when you get the emerald, and it wants you to stay true to that reality. Okay. It doesn't tolerate self-delusion, so if you're lying to yourself about something, emerald doesn't want you to, like, stay this person you're lying to yourself about being. If emerald perceives you as lying to yourself, it will just refuse to work with you rather than working you through that. Oh. It's a very, like, here's where we're at and here's where we're staying kind of stone. Gotcha. If you have a lot of, like, stacked up unexamined shadow work, emerald either won't work with you at all Mm -hmm. or will work very poorly with you. Gotcha. Question, because it's squeaky-assed. They said, we typically use lab-created grown emeralds that are much more durable in jewelry. Yep, synthetic. Chemically, they're the same as natural emeralds. Mm -hmm. So what would be, if any, the difference on a metaphysical level? Okay. So lab-created emeralds, they are made in a couple of different ways. But the ones that are most common, to my knowledge, are the kind that are grown from a seed on a piece of colorless barrel. And those are essentially, uh, with chromium, Mm -hmm. and those are essentially indistinguishable from a natural emerald. Right. If there was any difference metaphysically between a natural emerald and a synthetic created emerald of that type, I think it would be that a natural emerald is older and has more experience than a created emerald. Okay. That makes sense. So, so the spirit of a synthetic emerald, although it is still emerald, will be younger and less experienced. It is probably going to be less stable than a natural emerald. So what I talked about where emeralds are natural stabilizers, right. a created emerald is less likely to have that a strong sense of that characteristic. Right. So really, if you're looking to work with emerald, you really would probably want to try to find one that is not synthetic. It depends on what you're or looking just, for. Or just depends older. on what you're looking for. Exactly. Even, even a synthetic yeah, exactly. Because they've been, as long as it's old. Exactly. Because right, they've yeah. been making synthetic emeralds for a long time. Mm-hmm. Since I think the 60s, I think the 1960s Probably, yeah. was when they started making synthetic emeralds the way they do now. There's nothing wrong with a synthetic emerald. It's just younger. Right. That makes sense. Gotcha. And actually, Squeaky said that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So that's a good thing. That's it for Oats Stone Corner! Okay, so let's go back to correspondences. Yes, yes. What else is associated with Yule? Let's see, apple cider, uh, mulled wine and mulled ciders, apples in general. Uh, gingerbread is associated with this time of year. Roasted meat. Gingerbread. Yeah, kind of all kinds of roasted meat. Like mm. I said, roasted boar is traditional in uh, Scandinavian and German areas because of the Freer Association. Yes, I believe last year we did sausage pizza. We did. <laughs> to emulate our roasted Yes, we, we, we got pizza and we specifically got sausage on it because we were like, this is made of pork and it's as close as we're going to get. Yep. That counted enough for me. Right. We may be doing that again this year as well. I don't Freer know. didn't seem to mind. So that's fine with me. Freer is very relaxed in my experience. So uh, some of the other food correspondences with this time of year are nuts. See also squirrels. 
and dried fruit. And I think that's just because those are the things that, like, in ye olden times, mm -hmm. you were running low on fresh food at this time. Right. You had salted things and dried things, mm -hmm. basically, left yep. over. Some scents that are common for this time are cedar, cinnamon, frankincense, myrrh, and orange. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of plants and herbs, we have holly, ivy, juniper, pine, sage, wintergreen, which I think is just because it says winter in it, <laughs> and mistletoe. Quinn's Garden Gems. <laughs> I guess that's my cue. That's your cue. <laughs> yep, yep. Today, obviously, if you couldn't tell from the obvious hint, uh, I'm going to be discussing mistletoe, uh -huh. which obviously Yule slash, right. you know, upcoming after Christmas. Right. Mistletoe is a thing. Very popular. Very popular. Mistletoe is actually the English common name for what is actually the most hemiparasitic plant in the Santalalis family of flowering plants. Yes, I know that's a lot of big words. <laughs> and it is also an obligate parasite, which means that it has very low chlorophyll and it has to survive by getting most of its nutrients from its host, which is usually a tree. Yeah, so Juniper, obligate, obligate just means it can't survive without being a parasite. It can't survive without right. being a parasite. And uh, it's usually an oak tree or juniper tree, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's it's not. It was not native to North America. It was actually brought over by the British, actually, mm -hmm. <laughs> the English, because it, it was a native to England. To Europe. To Europe. Yeah. And so it was brought over here. And so it, there's actually many varieties of mistletoe. And while it is considered a pest mm -hmm. <laughs> and is considered a parasite by many, it's actually, according to scientists, it's considered an ecological keystone species, which means many varieties are actually protected. protected and they are important to the ecological system within where it's found. It draw, It's uh, food for animals. It draws in different types of species. For, right, that are important for biodiversity. That are important for biodiversity. It also, believe it or not, in juniper trees, it, all, it actually encourages the juniper tree to bury. Huh. It's actually not as bad of a, a plant as it tends to get the, right. you know. So it's more symbiotic than parasitic it in is, some It cases. is. And I think it depends because there are a lot of different varieties. Right. But it does, it is really more, uh, depending on the variety, it's more symbiotic. And on the species it's attached itself to. Exactly, exactly. And then, um, obviously, in pre-Christian uh, cultures, the white berries of the mistletoe were seen as a, a male fertility symbol because it represented semen, basically, is what they considered it. And which which pre-Christian cultures? Well, the Celts, for instance, saw it as the semen of Tyrannus. The Greeks called it the oak sperm. Mistletoe played an important part, obviously, in Druid mythology, as well as in North mythology. Right. You, yeah. you know, because Loki basically tricked... There's a whole thing with Baldur and Hother and maybe Loki, depending on who you talk to. Yeah, yeah. And uh, supposedly he tricked... Um, Hoder into uh, killing Balder, Balder with a mistletoe arrow. I've had a lot of thoughts about this that I won't get into right now. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then... Um, after we turn off the recording. Uh -huh. After we turn off the recording. And then Romans also associated mistletoe with peace and love, and hanging mistletoe was actually a part of the Saturnalia mm. um, celebration, so that's how we got the whole idea of... Hang, kissing of, under the mistletoe. Yeah, because it was associated with love and romance and, ma and marriage mm -hmm. and things like that. 
So that's where that came from. It is aligned with the sun uh-huh. and Jupiter. It is considered a masculine, quote unquote, uh-huh. uh, because of the white berries. Right. Gods that are connected to it include Brigid, Phlideus, Maka, Og. 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 To Dog, my knowledge. The Dogda, among others. It is also excellent to create magical tools with. And it is good for protection, for banishing unwanted spirits from the home. So it's very good for for that type of thing. It is considered toxic. So if you're going to work with mistletoe, be very careful how you handle it. You know, I recently received a question from a listener asking how to rid a tree of of mistletoe. And the sad sad part of that is you really can't unless you're willing to cut down the tree or completely remove the mistletoe which can then in fact actually kill the tree tree. because it is a symbiotic parasitic relationship going on it's deep in the flesh of that tree and i and i think yeah it is and i think sometimes it it looks like it's killing the tree when maybe Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily killing the tree i mean but removing it but removing it will probably kill the tree (laughs) and it's really it's very hard so it, it it depends on the variety and that type of thing yeah but it is a great obviously herb to work with right. and magic. magically magically it is a symbol of yule mm-hmm. and we actually have mistletoe that will be arriving tomorrow oh good which we will hang above our door and i read this today you actually do not take it down you leave it up for the entire year once you that was one of the traditions <laughs> mm-hmm. so you you hung it over a, a doorway and this was during i believe this was the saturnalia tradition mm-hmm. you hung you would hang it and leave it until the next year and then you would burn it in the fire. Interesting. So do you want the druid folklore quickly? Yeah. Yeah. About the okay. mistletoe? Yeah. So mistletoe was originally called all heal. Interesting. Druids considered it to be a sacred plant, mm-hmm. believed it to have miraculous properties, which could cure illnesses, serve as an antidote against poisons, ensure uh, fertility, and protect against ill effects of witchcraft. Hey. Interesting. Um, when taken as a form of diluted tea, it was thought to be curative from everything from infertility to epilepsy. By the way, this t- plant is highly toxic if ingested. And then... Like, originally, like, what would happen is the the head druid would go mm-hmm. out, and yeah. he would actually cut the mistletoe off the oak the sixth day after Yule. Mm-hmm. And he would cut it down with a golden sickle. Okay. And there would be other druids down there to catch it. Mm-hmm. And if it fell on the ground, it, there was an issue. It was, it was right. yeah, yeah, you couldn't yeah. use it. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so it was a very big deal. Right, uh- Formal right. ceremony. Yeah. And I think part of that is because it grew mostly on oak. And oak was and a very oak sacred being tree. And oak was a very a sacred, sacred tree. tree. Yeah. yeah. As far as mistletoe is concerned, if you are going to work with it, do remember that it is toxic. Yeah. So be careful with it. Keep well, it don't, out of... Don't make your own mistletoe tea, maybe. No, no. Don't, no. Yeah. Do not. Do not. Do not. We do not recommend it. Do not ingest mistletoe. But, and when you're handling it, be careful as well. Make sure it's not anywhere near where food preparation would happen. Yeah. Not where children or pets might get a, you know, a sample of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Be wise in your practice of it, but do use it in your practice if that's what you desire because it mm-hmm. is a very useful magical herb. Yep. And that's it for Quinn's Garden Gems. Lovely. Thanks. <laughs> Okay, so do we want to talk about some of the traditions we actually do really quick? Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. So, like, today, Carr 
created a Yule log for us. Mm-hmm. I did indeed. We are going to burn it eventually at the end of the season. So we have an extremely long Yule season. We do. We have a we, very we, long Yule season. Because we have a heathen and we have a Celtic. And a, and a druid. A druid yep. there. And me just, you know, I just she's, fit in She's there. just happy because she likes holidays. I like holidays. Because right. um, really, as a green witch, I really only celebrate Yule on the, on the, the solstice. solstice. Which is December 21st this year, by the way. Yep. yep. So, but... Yeah, so... Our Yule actually begins... D- tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> what we... So we did this last year, too. And I don't remember why we decided to do this. I don't think it's traditional in Druidry to start before... The winter no. solstice. I haven't found anything to, to suggest that, but no. we did this last year for some reason and we liked it, so we're doing it again. Right. The 12 days before December 21st, we celebrate Yule in Carsway. And then the 12 days after December 21st, we celebrate Yule in my way. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and consequently, we block off almost all of December for right. so holidays. So we get 12 days leading up to and right. 12 or, well, days. Well, we get 11 days leading up to, I guess, yeah. December 21st. And, and, and the, counting the 21st. The counting, the yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then, right, yeah. so Ish. the 21st, the winter solstice, is our is our overlap. Car carved out a, a Yule log. log. Yeah. So he created three holes in the log that we could put candles in. Mm-hmm. It's because it has to go for a month. Right. So, so I, I went really out. No. I went out to a little pine bush mm-hmm. that uh, a pine shrub that is it's dying basically and it'll it's, soon be removed. And it's going to be removed. So I, I went out and, and asked if it would allow me to take some of its branches, you know, its little fronds, sprigs, mm-hmm. sprigs to use as decoration and it granted me that boon. So So we're uh, decorating the so Yule we're log. decorating the Yule log with the pine needles and yeah. things and like that. And then the what we what we did last year and what we're gonna do this year is every night at sunset, mm-hmm. which in like in ancient Scandinavia, days actually started on sunset. Yep. Because you know, our elders were just weird that way. <laughs> <laughs> so but at sunset we light three candles uh in the Yule log. So that we can uh, usher in the return of the sun the over of the this sun. over mm-hmm. this time of darkness. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, we usually say a little incantation yeah. or some yeah. kind of blessing, you know, inv- invocation to the sun and yeah. that kind of thing. Uh, and I've got like a pretty. I, last year, I didn't really know what I wanted to do because I didn't have anything prepared. This year, I've got like a whole system that uh, I'm borrowing from Dagal Flafson, a writer on heathenhof.com. So if you're interested in that, you can look up his mm-hmm. his Yule tradition on Heathenhof and follow along. That's the big thing that we're doing in our house, I yeah. guess, is the yeah. candle yeah. lighting. The candle Last lighting. year we did pomanders. Yes, we did. Uh, Gwyn made pomanders, 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 which yeah. I have, which are still around this yes. year. And I'm going to make more. Yeah, yeah. And they, we will burn the three that are currently in on the altar, yeah. and they will be replaced by new ones. ones. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So we will make sure that we include a link to to how to make how pomanders. To make pomanders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a, Gwyn made them great. as protective charms, yep. essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was so. a and very, they smell great. <laughs> no, it, it was very peaceful mm-hmm. and I was able meditative. to meditative and yeah. I just really enjoyed the activity. It helped me to concentrate on the reasons that we're celebrating Yule and family and that kind of thing. So it yeah. was it was really nice. And then I can talk about some of the other things that you can do to sure. you know yeah. around Yule. In addition to creating a Yule log and decorating it, you can burn your Yule log, which we're planning to burn ours right. at, the end. at the end of all our celebrations. Right, which ends in January. 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 You can also make an evergreen wreath, 
of your own if you you can get some sprigs of pine spruce fir cedar or holly which i can't prove this but i think the tradition of wreaths harkens back to the yield and tradition of setting a giant wheel on fire <laughs> in celebration of sun rituals it's entirely possible <laughs> yeah. it's entirely possible you can also use pine cones berries assorted nuts that type of thing some thin flower wire ribbon hot glue gun wire cutters that kind of thing right. and obviously if you're going to get sprigs of pine and spruce and fir and cedar that you're not purchasing if you're going to go out into a forest to do ask, ask for permission. permission. Yeah. And also make sure that you're not violating any local ordinances or laws in your area. That's right. right That's yeah. right. You can also do the same thing and create evergreen garlands. Mm-hmm. It's just longer. Yeah. To just strew about <laughs> your house about decoratively. You can create a mistletoe ball by taking a foam ball. The easiest size is four inches in diameter. If florist foam works best. You can use mistletoe sprigs, fresh or dried and if you want to get fresh mistletoe, you can order it on Etsy. That's where yeah. I, I was able to get mine from. The, you can also do the same with holly. And then just decorate it with, you know, ribbon, that Stuff. type of thing. You can make also, it pretty. Mm-hmm, you can make, obviously, placemats. You can create Yule stockings. You can create ornaments out of dried fruit. Mm-hmm. We, that's We decorated our Yule tree with slices of dried apple, lemon, and orange. You can also make ginger cookies. Yeah. And just bake and them those, so that they're hard, yeah. a little bit harder. And then you can put those on the tree. And you can put those on the tree. You can string cranberries together. It just is a we've wonderful done, Yeah, thing. we've done that before. Should we talk about the zombie gingerbread cookies? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I guess we're gonna now. <laughs> One year, Gwyn made a batch of gingerbread cookies that fell apart. Yes. So in multiple ways. In various ways. They broke. They lost limbs, they lost heads. It was a serious tragedy. Some of them broke just in half. And I was twenty three or twenty four at the time. I maybe that. I don't know. Maybe younger than that. Maybe you younger than your, that. I think you were teenagers. But I saw these destroyed gingerbread cookies, and it had long been a tradition in the house that we decorated the gingerbread cookies with frosting, the little squeeze frosting mm-hmm. things, decorator ice. Yeah, thing. that you like Betty Crocker yeah. things that you can get in different colors. So I saw these this ruin of gingerbread, and I said to myself, I can work with that. So I created some horrifying zombie gingerbread cookies. I've still got pictures. I'll post them on our Facebook page. So I decorated them so that, you know, if they were missing limbs, it was because they'd been hacked off. It was brilliant. I had one who'd been snapped in half, so I, like, stretched out his two halves and roped, like, intestines between them and frosted. Yeah, it was wonderful. I forget what exactly happened, if the pan fell. I don't know. Or what happened. But There was some disaster. Ode made them into a masterpiece that I absolutely fell in love with. Yeah. Oh and it became gosh. a tradition thereafter. <laughs> that any time a gingerbread cookie was not absolutely perfectly Perfect, yeah. formed... I got it. That's right. And, and was given free reign to decorate it however I wanted. That's right. Oh, and speaking, getting back to the tradition. Right. You can also share those decimated cookies. <laughs> or the ones that are a or little the bit. whole ones. A little nicer looking. Or, well, no, these were actually quite nice looking. <laughs> they were very artistic. They were just a little They were just grim. Dark. A little grim. Dark. But you can serve them as, as gifts. You, or, you know, I'm just saying, kind of at the time I wasn't a heathen. But now, 
I could claim these were wild hunch riders, and it would be perfectly <laughs> would be, legit. In fact, I'm, I'm now going to commission you to create wild wild hunt, hunt riders. riders. Okay, for Yule. <laughs> but anyway, you can gift cookies to neighbors and mm-hmm. friends, then things like that. You can go wassailing. We, you can wassail the trees. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of which, it's time for cars feast table. Cars feast table. <laughs> So I'm going to do wassail because mm-hmm. I have literally made this for yes. 35 years, My probably. entire life he's been making wassail well, every only been year. only for 30. Yes, so, but I but, made it before that because I made were, it for Elizabethan yeah. dinners. Oh, yeah. true. That's true. So, so I've probably been making wassail for 35 years. In case you're wondering what that, what that reference to, we were in college together. <laughs> right, yeah. So. And we, we participated in Elizabethan dinners. Which were like a theater thing. Which were like a theater thing. Yeah. I make my own version. I'm going to actually give you all the recipe for Alton Brown's version. Mm-hmm. Yep, fair. Because I'm actually going to make the Alton Brown version this year. Yeah, which he's made this... Carr has made, like, variations on the same wassail for... Years. Well... 35 the, years. Yeah, for my entire life. <laughs> all the time that we've been married. And, it, you, and sure. it starts with apple cider. Yep. But Alton Brown's does not. No. It starts with six small Fuji apples. Mm-hmm. Cord. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then a cup of brown sugar, which is very close to what I do. Mm-hmm. A cup of water, which I don't do because I don't need it because yeah, it's apple exactly. cider normally. 72 ounces of ale. <laughs> 750 milliliters of Madeira wine. Ooh. <laughs> yep. Ten the whole shit cloves. that I bought. No, oh, no, yeah. no. Real wine. Real, real wine. Uh, the same Madeira probably that I used when, when we did Mushrooms yeah. Menage a Oh, Trois. God, that was yeah. so good, too. Which I'll have to get the recipe for at some point. Yep. Ten Save it for cloves, a car's feast table. Right. Ten whole allspice berries, one cinnamon stick two inches long, one teaspoon of ground ginger, one teaspoon of ground nutmeg, and six large eggs separated. Hmm. Eggs? Eggs. In the wassail. Yes. We're going to try it. Uh, it's not starting from apple cider, so maybe this is part of the, like, make the apples into it's, a cider it's, process. It's taking on an eggnog feeling here. <laughs> Why are you complaining not, you like eggnog? Not with eggs in it. <laughs> <laughs> I like the soy nog. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, but it's it's basically making a froth out of it. Yeah. Gotcha. So I will definitely post that on the blog. blog. Thank you. The blog uh, that's on the website. Hard. Those beers are starting to hit. <laughs> the second one's definitely hitting. I've actually slowed way down. It's the whole with like nine and a half, ten percent alcohol by volume. Yeah, yeah, citrus, no joke. And I think that's low because I remember it being twelve. Yeah, I think it was. And then I will also post mine. Okay. That comes mm-hmm. from tradition. 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 Yep. Yeah, so. Which is traditional apple cider wassail. Yeah, I don't yes, know where yeah. you got that recipe from. I actually got it years from ago? doing uh, the Elizabethan, the Elizabethan okay. dinners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the recipes they were from. Uh, a- the Elizabethan yeah, from era. The Elizabethan yeah. era, yeah. And yeah. Cars made that wassail for us mm-hmm. every year, essentially, for my entire life. And it's yep. very good. It's very yeah. good. Mm-hmm. So if the Alton Brown stuff doesn't work out, I'm just going to ask you to go make the regular <laughs> I'll make wassail. Both. And <laughs> I'll make both, and we can compare them side mm-hmm. by side. Oh, yeah. We can do you know, taste if I tests. do it in the next week, we can compare them on the live episode. That's true. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good thought. Very cool. Because one will be really alcoholic. And one will be not. One will be, be not. not. Yeah, the, the wassail so that... Gwen drink the Yeah, the non We're going to have to go get some real wine for the next episode. I get the real shit. Okay. <laughs> All right, so Madeira. I got yep. you. <laughs> so is that, uh, that the end of Cars? Of Cars table? That's table? the end of it, yeah. Okay. okay. And then I just wanted to add a few things of homemade Yule gifts. Okay. If, um, 
people think things that you can right. either make if to you're give, still trying to figure out what to send to your to Yule recipient or if there's something you'd like to make with your children because uh-huh. we did this one year when our children were small is we made gifts just because we were poor, yeah, we were dirt poor <laughs> and, yeah. and so we made get we made our gifts for each other that year and it's yeah. one of the best christmases that we ever had and i still have the wreath that my children made for me and hang it up every I year i can't believe that thing is held up so well it's really pretty it worked out well except the heart-shaped one thing. Uh-huh. yeah yeah, yeah. Pomanders is right. one thing, and you can, you know, the ones that I made last year were for protection, mm-hmm. but you can put any intention on yeah. your pomander. It's kind of like not magic, where each time you push a clove into the orange, mm-hmm. you put you push in your intention yeah. into the orange. Now, so. I would probably focus on the things that oranges and cloves are good for. Mm-hmm. Right. In the source that I'm reading, which is Yule, A Celebration of Light and Warmth, and it was written by Dorothy Morrison in mm-hmm. the 1990s. It's attitude-changing pomander, so something that would help someone with their attitude, apparently. Uh, Orange and clove are also very good for prosperity, so Mm -hmm. it'd be good for prosperity So you can come up with a variety of intentions. Pine cone fire starters. (laughs) You can make bath salts, which is actually really easy. Energy sachets. Pressed urban flower candles. And uh, you can also do a flower pot candle or a little mini spell kit. Yeah, spell kits are nice, especially if you know someone who's starting in their practice. Mm-hmm. But yeah, who that doesn't... would be great for a, a, someone who's beginning. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you're in the same tradition. So if you got paired up with someone in the Yule Exchange who's in the same tradition as you, just a little kit of like how you would put a spell together might be really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because even though you're in the same tradition, the way you two handle your work might be completely different. So that would be a really interesting thing mm-hmm. to exchange, I think. Yeah. This was very interesting, this year's uh, Yuling. Yeah, yeah, like we said, we're going to we're gonna have a more formal process, um, more established next year. Yeah. But we're also thrilled how many people wanted to yeah. participate. Yeah, we it's had so 40 cool. people. It's yeah. so yeah. cool. Or 41. 41. Yeah. And yeah. it's wonderful because, you know, these people are making gifts for each other. Mm-hmm. And, and I just think it's, it's the, in the spirit of Yule. It's wonderful. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really exciting. So is that for the episode? I think so. Is there right. to talk I mean, about? I didn't talk about Alban Arthen. Or oh, yeah. No, we like didn't that, talk about Alban Arthen well, at all. We forgot about... What? Australia. So that would be our Australian listeners, our South African listeners. Yeah. Yes. So. Everybody in the Southern Hemisphere. Everybody who below the equator. Okay. Um, so yeah. So you guys, you guys are not doing Yule right now. You're celebrating Litha. Yeah, you're celebrating Litha. So fortunately... Go back to our yeah, Litha episode. We've actually, Litha we've actually episode. done the whole wheel now. <laughs> So if you if you want to hear what our thoughts are on the holiday you're actually celebrating right now, go listen to our Litha episode <laughs> and, and find out. Yeah. Yeah. Any any, any wrap questions, up questions? Comments. All right. So here are the questions. Let's see. The magnificent bubbly said, "I think you covered everything in general on Yule. I would love to, however, read your notes." Okay. I am interested in trying a twelve days of Yule type thing to help me get into the holiday spirit. So it here's really how does. <laughs> here's how I do my twelve days of Yule. Okay. So we'll do this quickly. It, one, we light a candle on at, at, sunset, at sunset. sunset. Actually, we light a whole bunch of candles. Yeah, we yeah, light we three light candles. Three <laughs> candles on the Yule log at sunset, and they burn all the way to sunrise. Yep. For the first three days, it's supposed to be uh, the maiden goddess that's honored as your guide moving forward into the new year to set a right position and a positive path. The second set of three days is the Mother Goddess, which is for fertility and upcoming endeavors. Mm -hmm. The third set of days is for rebirth of the God, honoring his guidance through the physical world. And the final set of three days is for the Old Crone Goddess, 
which is honored for wisdom as a teacher and cosmic lessons of life and spirit. Okay. And just to take the pressure off of the the candles, we have six-hour burning tea lights, and that's about how long they go. Yeah, that's how long they go, yeah. (laughs) We don't leave candles burning unattended in our house. No, So on the winter solstice, we do light light a a larger candle. And last year, I stayed up all night night. until sunrise, Waiting when I for took that over. when yeah. when Gwen took took over, waiting for that candle to burn all the way down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and so we will do that all, pro- again probably yes. this year. Yeah. We do that only on the on actual the actual solstice. day of the solstice yeah. when it is the longest night. Yeah. yeah. The lady catastrophe asked. The only question I have is, what is the best Yule activity to do with children? My like kids are five and six. And so it's a little challenging to figure out. I think pomanders really yeah, work for yeah. that. Or I, what, something we did when I was a kid that I mm-hmm. really, really enjoyed. Yeah, this was a good activity. Was we took pine cones and rolled them in peanut butter and then rolled the peanut butter pine cones in birdseed and mm-hmm. hung those up outside for squirrels. For, for squirrels. And yeah. birds. And birds. birds Ostensibly, for, Ostensibly birds, for birds. But mostly for squirrels. Right. So Another, if it's okay to do that in your area, that's a really fun activity to do. Another activity that I did with my kids was I took wrapping paper. Mm-hmm. We had the extra wrapping paper and made paper chains that we hung around yeah. as decorations. And then they're small children, but you could do the pomanders with them if you pre-poke the oranges. Right. Because it's the it's the sticking the, the cloves into In, the, yeah, the skin the of the of the orange that can be the hard part. But if you take a toothpick and pre poke mm-hmm. the area, now, it's I a don't little know. easier for those children. Or to an ice pick. <laughs> or an all. We're talking children. I don't know how how well that will hold the attention of like a five or six yeah, year old. It's a, it can be but a you're long creating a, a random pattern. Right. Mm-hmm. So that might, it sort of right. depends on the kid, I think. Right. Whether yep. they're, if they're really artistic, this may be yep. more for them. And it's also, speaking as a former preschool teacher, uh-huh. it's good for the hand and eye coordination for yeah. them to pick good for, up. Good training. And, <laughs> and put the, the clove into the orange. Just pre-poke yeah. the orange and do a simple pattern. And, uh, and just, I guess, try to make sure they don't eat the cloves. Yeah. Not that yeah. it'll, like, do them serious damage, but they're not tasty. Yeah, make sure that they don't put those in their mouth. <laughs> they do, like, uh, you know, string uh, cranberries and mm-hmm. uh, saltless peanuts and okay. popcorn and that kind of stuff. That's a great yard, idea. So. Yeah. So Absolutely. also stuff you can do with little kids. You mm-hmm. just have to be careful with, again, needle. Yeah, with the needle. So you kind yep. of have to be... Mm-hmm. Good about that. But all right, so that's it for the episode. I'm going to stop this. No, you got to do our outro stuff. I don't want to do an outro. You got to do our outro I stuff. I want to do an outro. Well, you have to, Mr. Whiny Pants. Fine, I'll do an <laughs> Where outro. Where can you find us? You can find us on Facebook <laughs> at 3PAAC. That's three pack. You can also find us on Twitter, which is 3 underscore pagans. You can also find us on Discord. We can't tell you how to find that. You have to get the invite link off the website. (laughs) We now have a Reddit. Yeah, we have a Reddit server that I'm still not on yet. I have to... (laughs) I know, I'm handling the same thing. I have a Reddit account, but it's under a different name, and I don't want to attach it to... So you have an email address that's specifically Yeah, I know. So this means I have to make a separate Reddit account. Uh Yeah, so I just have to to do that. But once, once I do, I'll be in the Reddit... And no doubt having exhaustive, like... So far, I've not had any crazy conversations in the Reddit yet. Yeah. But, but people Reddit, haven't really found us yet. Well, and Reddit is really good for having, like, long-form conversations. Yes. It's better yeah. for that than the Discord and the Facebook is, which yep. is why we made a Reddit. Mm-hmm. So, exactly. So we're hoping to move that, that kind of conversation over in the yeah. direction of the Reddit, just so that we can sort of free up some space on the Facebook and the Discord. Yeah. Yep. You can also find us on YouTube. 
Oh, yeah. you can indeed, and I can't give you the link for that Again, either. No, but you can just find search it on Three Pagans and a Cat in the, in the YouTube yeah. search bar. Yep. yep. Uh, and right. then we have a website at the number three. Pagansandacat.com. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so three uh, and then I think that's it. Think oh, that's we it. have a we have a Patreon, obviously. Right, we have oh, a Patreon. Yeah. We have a Redbubble. Yeah. So for those of you, so for the twenty three of you who are still around, hanging around, listening to us, this is normally reserved for hunters only. Not yet. <laughs> yes. Not normally, yet. this is reserved Norm- for hunters yeah. only. The word "normally" was included in that sentence. <laughs> yeah. Normally. This is going to stay open for still next for the next episode for the anniversary episode because we're going to be getting. Questions from you guys. We're going to be soliciting feedback, basically yep. talking about our plans for the next year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But after that, it's going to be closed down again to only people who are at hunter levels or above on the right. Patreon. Yep. yep. So that's not that. the whole Discord server, just these channels. Right. Just, just, these channels. The, just the, the rest questions of the, and the recording channel. The rest yep. of the Discord is open to everybody. Yep. yep. And we've seen lots of discussions going on about <laughs> starting some kind of learning. Right. Yeah. Some there's there's been some questions on the Discord about starting like a book club or some kind of some some way for um, pri- members of the pride to sort of keep each other on track, keep each other accountable for like doing a daily practice, things like that. So we have floated the idea and we haven't made up our minds yet. And we'll talk about this in more detail in the next episode, probably. Right. But we've, we are discussing currently putting up a building your book channel in the Discord where we would post regular prompts drawn from the building your book series and you guys would engage with them and help us essentially write the book because we're planning to write a book for the building your book mm-hmm. series. Right. Mm-hmm. That's been on the docket for a long time and we just haven't really had... The resources, we yeah, we, had, we yeah. just haven't really had the resources to, to put it together, Yeah, but we're planning to focus on that in this next year. So it's possible that we're going to be making the Discord part of that process. Yep. Uh, we will talk about this in more detail in the next episode, but we wanted to put that in your guys' brains so that you're thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So this was your Yule gift. Yes, also with Yule. your Yule gift mm-hmm. to you all is that we normally do a Hunters and Above only three-card monthly tarot draw. Yes. This month, and I don't know if we'll continue this going forward, but this month we decided to do three cards from Gwyn, three cards from Ode, and an OM reading for me. Yeah. And we're actually going to post that to the Facebook as well as the Patreon which so will give everyone everybody access, access to, it. to it. So happy Yule. You'll get our reading. We did it specifically for you guys. Yeah, for the whole Pride. For the whole Pride. That's who we focused on with these readings. So that'll be really cool. Yeah. Um, so basically this month for Yule, we've we've unlocked sort of all of our Hunter tier rewards. Yep. yep. For everyone. And I also wanted to say that for our Jaguars, mm-hmm. who are supposed to be getting a three-card individual, yep. you will be getting the same type your of usual reading. reading is your coming. usual reading is coming, but it will be all three right, of us all combined. three of us contributed. Right. And I think that for the Jaguars, we'll, Jaguars we'll, con- we'll continue doing that. Yes. <laughs> but beyond that, I'm not sure if we'll continue doing that for everybody. I think right. I have to know. Now that I've said Jaguar, I need to... You have no, to stick with that voice? Yeah, please don't. <laughs> Okay, so, yeah, so that's, I think that's everything we have to talk about in terms of yep, breaking down mm-hmm. our, the end of the episode, so I think we're good to go. Yep, I think so that's... So you're ready for me to stop? Yeah, well, I'm actually, ready for you to what stop. we should do is say, 
Happy Yule, everybody. Happy Yule. Happy Yule. Yes, Happy Yule. Happy Yule. Do you want to do it together? Happy Yule. 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 Happy Yule to you. Happy Yule to you. Happy Yule. God, please, no. Here we come, a wassailing. I found a 12 Days of Yule song. Ooh. On the first day of Yule. Exactly. Okay. 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 Okay